Micah chapter number 7. When you find it, let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Before I begin reading, let's understand that Micah, a prophet of the Lord unto Israel in a time in which Israel was disobedient and judgment was coming. And this man of God with much desire to see the nation turn its heart towards the Lord, preaches and proclaims. But in that proclamation, he sees an absence of hope. He sees that so many have turned away from the Lord, and even with his own heart, he struggles to find nourishment for his own soul. That's how chapter number 7 begins. And the Word of God says... Woe is me, for I am as when they gathered the summer fruits, as the graplings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat, and my soul desired the first ripe fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh, and the judge judge asketh for reward, and the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire, so they wrap it up. The best of them is as a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexity. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. For the son dishonoreth the father, and the daughter riseth up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's a terrible situation. And then comes the prophet's response. Therefore... I will look unto the Lord. Now I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of your word. And Lord, I ask that you would remove all distraction. Lord, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with the power of your spirit. That your people would hear from you this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I stand here today behind a pulpit on a day in particular that I do not especially enjoy. Here we stand 21 years later after the tragic events that took place on September 11th as our nation was attacked. As those towers fell, for those who were alive and, and witnessed it either on a TV or through the urgent voice of a radio broadcast, you remember that as those towers fell, so did our hearts sink. We entered into a period of, of mourning nationally as we sought to make sense of the tragedy that occurred and the pain And the senseless loss of life. The nation was shut down. 
and began to mourn as its troops began to mobilize. It entered into a stage in American history in which there was, as a result, national pain and agony, but also there was a resulting national unity and a desire that the Lord would supply the healing for our land. And I in no way, shape, or form glorify that tragedy. And I will never be able to say that I celebrate this day. Although I will always remember and commemorate it. I will always celebrate those who responded so valiantly, sacrificially, and heroically. But the day itself in my mind is a day of great tragedy. However, on the heels of that tragedy for the first time and the only time in my life that I can remember, there is, a, there is an urgency across the land to return to the house of God. Even if it was just for a week or two or a month or three, there is a desire for pastors to open the doors of their churches that the church people would gather and pray for the massive loss of life and for the healing of the nation. There are special services and memorials held and at the center of them was a cry of God's people for help because as a result of that tragedy, Yes, there would be a military response, but nothing, no man or woman, no organization or effort would ever be able to erase the immense pain that the nation was feeling. And here we have the immense pain of the prophet. The immense pain as he declares that the nation is in ruin and his heart is waxing cold and in desperate need of the Lord's deliverance and the Lord's help and the Lord hearing his cry. And as we read the text, I'm sure that you noticed that there is no help found in man and there is no help found even within himself. To finally we come to verse number seven and read, therefore I will look unto the Lord. And as we are gathered here this morning, I feel that it has become our typical mode of operation to look for help in every other facet of our lives, our society, our educational systems, our medical centers, that they would be the source of our help. And I am grateful for many of those entities and the help that they have provided. I pray for baby Avonlea and the doctors which oversee her. I pray for Ashton as she recovers and the nurses which attend to her. I pray for Kendall as she continues to recover from falling off the horse and the doctors that perform the scans and assess the damage. I pray for Tiffany McFalls as she recovers from her recent surgery and is in pain and discomfort. I'm grateful for medicine. But our answer is not medical. It's spiritual. Our answer is with the Lord. 
And we live in a society who seeks to find answers everywhere else but the Lord. And I say this as an indictment against the house of God as well. We become so fearful and overwhelmed with trepidation. And yet it is we who have been purchased by his blood and placed in his family. Who have been given the righteousness of his robes. And yet even as a child of God, we are so reluctant and so hesitant to go boldly into that throne of grace and receive help in time of need. And I would like to preach this morning a message entitled, Look unto the Lord. Look unto the Lord. In these waxing and waning days of prophecy, we seem to put much focus on the Antichrist. All we are expecting is arrival and we're guessing of who he might be. Could he be President Joe Biden or the next president? Could it be Zelensky or some other world leader? And we put so much effort into comparing scripture with the lives of these men and and seeing the rise of the Antichrist. We're looking for the mark of the beast. That number of a man, 666, could it come by some implantation or vaccination? Could it come by some means of man? And we become so argumentative about it and so consumed with the quest of finding out who the Antichrist is and finding out what the mark of the beast will be and who will be the false prophet and what nation will rise to power and create this this conglomeration of this confederacy of evil. But what about the coming of the Lord? Oh, we ought not to be more concerned with the coming of the Antichrist as we are the coming of the Lord. We ought to be the ones who lift up our eyes and see Him high and lifted up. Who we see Him upon His throne. That we would see Him in all of His glory. That we would see Him, the one who reigns in majesty above it all. And I want to encourage you this morning to look, to look unto the Lord. We have to look unto the Lord when man offers no hope. And that was the circumstance here in the days of Micah. Listen to the desperation within Micah's voice. He says as the first three words of this chapter, Woe is me. He recognizes that there is no help or no hope within himself. Woe is me. Or as the prophet Isaiah said when he was in that throne room of God. Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And he saw nothing but deficiency within himself. And I'm here to declare to you that if you're looking for hope within yourself, you'll not find it. Not only the hope that he could not find within himself, but I I see that, that man offered no hope concerning that multitude of humanity that was around him. Notice what he says in verse number two. The good man is perished out of the earth. There is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net. Doesn't that describe our world today? It seems like everyone is out for blood. And when you're looking for a righteous man, who can find him? When you're looking for a righteous woman, who can find her? Who is it that we can go to and receive that godly counsel? And I am grateful for those men that God has placed in my life to help supply godly counsel and wisdom because I believe that there is safety in a multitude of counsel. 
I'm grateful for those men who've been able to come by me and and give me and pour into me their wisdom and their knowledge. But I want you to know that it seems like the selection of those men is becoming fewer and fewer. And one day we're going to get to this point uh, that Micah was at. The good man is perished out of the earth. He says in verse number four, the best of them is a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. And how many times have we gone and placed our hope in men? And as we go to them for help, they're more of a briar than a comfort. This is... A real tragedy in the life of Micah. And it seems to me that oftentimes those who are in, who are in the greatest need for help will find themselves in the house of God. By the way, the, the greatest honor outside of the presence of the Lord is when the Lord sends someone into the house of God who is in need of help. To me, that's an expression of the Lord's confidence in those that are gathered in that church. And I pray that Valley View Baptist Church can always be the kind of church where someone who is in need of help can come to, can call, can show up at a service and know that they're not going to be ostracized by how they look or how they act or how they smell, but they're going to be adopted into this gathering of believers and nourished and cared for and loved on. But I want you to know that that's not always the case. And it seems that many religious institutions which bear the name of Jesus Christ but not his presence do exactly the opposite. And while those who are trapped in sin and trapped in wickedness enter into the presence of those believers, that those believers offer them no hope, but instead they receive absolutely the opposite. They receive nothing but condemnation. They receive nothing but, but judgmental approach. Uh, they receive a cold welcome and skepticism as to whether or not they will infect the good nature of our gathering. Listen, we are to be a hospital to those in need. Uh, we want to run a rescue mission within a yard of hell so that those uh, that are caught in trespass, those that are consumed in sin, can come into this place and can be loved on the same way that Christ loved on you and be taught that there is a God in heaven who is able to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. For I remind you that the same thing is true about everyone else who will come to the Lord that was also true with you. For Romans chapter number 8 verse number 1 says that there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So the goal is not to run them off but to bring them in. You've heard me say it before and I'll say it again right now. Everyone should feel welcome in church. But not everyone should be comfortable. And if you wonder who I'm talking about, I'm talking about you. Oh, we ought to be uncomfortable in the house of God when God's word is preached and we find that there are elements in our heart that are not consistent with it. And when there's people who come into our gathering, which is the Lord's gathering, 
We ought to offer hope, not in ourselves, but in him. And I was thinking about this, this thought of how man offers no hope and how many times instead of offering hope, they offer condemnation and how sometimes believers will bring people into the presence of Jesus that those people might get under his condemnation. Oh, I'll tell you what this person needs. I'll tell you what that person needs. And you might be entirely right, but let's let the Lord handle that. It reminds me of a story in John chapter number 8 as Jesus very early in the morning descends from the Mount of Olives and comes into the temple and begins to teach. And it's not long after he begins teaching that the Bible says that there was a woman that was brought, and the specific words in Matthew or in John chapter number eight are this: that they these men took this woman and set her in the midst. In other words, these men brought this woman to Jesus. The men being the Pharisees and the scribes, and they did not bring her there to offer hope, but they brought her there to bring condemnation. They said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And here is this broken sinner, undisputable. She was caught in sin. She ought not have been. But nonetheless, there she was, overwhelmed by her own guilt, by her own unrighteousness. And condemnation was rightfully placed upon her, might I add. And they look into the eyes of Jesus and they say that Moses commanded that she should be stoned. But what do you say? And this they said, tempting him, the Bible says. Jesus' response is that he crouched down and began to stoop and write on the ground with his finger. And I never noticed this especially until I was studying for this message. But in John 8, verse number 7, the Bible says that those men, so they continued asking him, and it totally altered the way I envisioned this story in my mind. For I always thought that they cast her down on hand and knee in front of him, condemning her openly in front of everyone and Jesus. And as the story played out in my mind, I saw Jesus begin to stoop to a knee and begin to write on the ground. And there was a silent, awkward moment, but that's not the case. For it says that those Pharisees and scribes continued asking him, and as he's riding on the ground, I see these men like overzealous religious wolves hovering over the very Son of God, condemning her and asking him, what sayest thou, Master? Moses said to stone her, and here she is, possibly knowing that that is absolutely true in the Old Testament law, that she is worthy according to that condemnation of death. But what is Jesus going to say and so many people have got this perspective of Jesus the same perspective that the scribes and the Pharisees had that that when a sinner is brought before him that condemnation is his first response that wrath and judgment is what should be brought against those that are wicked and brought before him and this is why so many do not look unto Jesus they're afraid to look unto Jesus and understandably 
so, for in all of his holiness, in all of his omnipotence, in all of his majesty, vengeance is his and judgment is his. And he is the one that will one day exact his judgment on all unrighteousness. And there is no denying that. But this woman needed to know that she still could look unto Jesus. She could look unto the Lord. And when Jesus lifted up himself and saw no woman after declaring that whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Now here is this woman in solitude with Jesus Christ and the Lord. This is the most holy audience she has ever had. And he asked a question of her, where are thou thine accusers? And they had all left. And he responds, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And it's not that the Lord desires to be light concerning sin, for if anyone was harsh on sin, it was Jesus, for he is the one who placed it in his own body and felt the full measure of God's wrath. But everybody should know that if you haven't been looking unto the Lord because of your sin, there is forgiveness at the cross. There is restoration with Jesus. And no matter how far you've ran, and no matter how belligerent you've been, and no matter how rebellious your heart has turned, there is a place of forgiveness. And that place of forgiveness is only found when you look unto the Lord. Oh, because in the Lord we learn that His mercies endureth forever. And you learn that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And that there is always a space for forgiveness unto the Lord. And if you have been looking for hope among men, I'm here to tell you that it will not be found. What you will find with man is an inability to help, an inability to provide hope. What you will discover with man is condemnation when you have done wrong and, and, and ridicule when you have been out of the way. But with Jesus, you find forgiveness. Look unto the Lord when man offers no help. We also ought to look unto the Lord when weakness lies within. Weakness is definitely a part here of Micah's life. He says in these opening three words, woe is me. Woe is me, he says, for I am as when they gathered the summer fruits, as the graplings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first ripe fruit. Beautiful language. But we just don't speak like that anymore, do we? Instead, what we say is, I was hungry and there was nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and there wasn't a drop to drink. That's what he's saying. He said, I couldn't find any help. I couldn't find any wisdom. I couldn't find any guidance. I couldn't find any nourishment. And you see, we have a problem within ourselves to think that we can find some way forward without God. 
And it'll not be so. He says, woe is me. Woe is me. Woe is me. And if we're not careful, this honest reflection that the prophet had about his inability to do anything without the Lord's help, if we're not careful, we will take that to a, an unhealthy extreme and we will say, woe is me. And where when we looked to the offer of men and we found that man offers no hope, sometimes uh, we will look within ourselves, we'll see the weakness that lies within and instead of just casting ourselves on the Lord, we will condemn our own selves. So I can never change. I can never find a solution. Some people, they condemn themselves by this phrase right here. Well, that's just the way I am. Well, that's not the way you have to be. Oh, Jesus said that he'll create in you a new creature. He says in Romans chapter number 12 that you ought not to be conformed to this world, but that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the Bible tells us that when we are weak, that he is strong. And yeah, we say all the time, well, that's just the way I am. But listen, that's not the way it has to be. And if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a solution, I, I want you to know that there might be weakness that lies within, but there is help in God. Boy, Jesus interacted with another woman in a town of Samaria who I believe felt that there was no hope from within or no hope from anyone else. Jesus tells his disciples we must needs go through Samaria. That is to say that Jesus was very intentional about where he was going. It wasn't an accident at all. And he sits on this well in this city called Sychar. And it's about noon or as the Bible says the sixth hour. In the heat of the day and this woman begins to make her way from the alleys of the city into the well. And there she is. Coming in the middle of the day, most commentators believe that she came in the middle of the day because she was so ostracized by everyone else. For in the cool of the morning is when most people would gather their water. Not only is the water cooler then, but so is their body. And she's coming in the middle of the day so that she doesn't have to be under the condemnation of others. Interesting as we seek to understand this woman who comes to the well as she approaches Jesus. Jesus asks her to give him a water to drink and her response is very telling. She basically says this, well you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and the Samaritans have no dealings with the Jews. For the second time in this story we learn that this woman is separating herself away separating herself away from the one sitting at the well asking for water to drink. And as Jesus continues uh, the dialogue, he offers water that he can offer in which she will never thirst again. And she said, but you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. And he responds to this woman, I believe, with, with a peaceful longing for her to understand what he's saying on his face. And as he speaks to her, he begins to describe this water. And, and she says, I want that water. 
I want that water. And within herself, she has tried to find that water her whole life. And Jesus is about to expose that as he tells her to go and, and bring, go get your husband and bring him back. And she says, well, well, I have no husband. And Jesus exposes the whole thing. And he says, what you have said is, is very true. You have had five husbands and the one you're living with right now is not your husband. I can already imagine the feeling of condemnation that could be welling up within her heart. How much of a failure she must have felt. You know, it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus continues this dialogue, this conversation, and begins to reveal in her that what she needs, he is offering that Jesus Christ wants her to be with him and, and he with her. She wants her to be relieved from this turmoil of trying to find her own way when she's not able to, to find it and, and being rejected by so many. And, and it was brought to my attention some time ago that in the laws of that day, you might be interested to know that a woman could not divorce her husband, only the husband could divorce the wife. So I want you to imagine this for a moment. This woman has been married and divorced five times. Five times she's been told by, by some man, I don't want you anymore. Legally, she has no say in it. The man is able to go to those that preside over marriage licensure and write this bill of divorcement, hand it to her, and it's done, and she doesn't get a say in it. Again, she remarries thinking that here is a man who wants to be with me, and I want to be with him, and now divorced again and cast out onto the street. And again, the third time, and the fourth time, and the fifth time. And now she is with some man who is not her husband. A, a man who is with her, but not willing to be committed to her. Well, you talk about rejection. When you get to that place where you've been rejected over and over and over again, oftentimes we would say, woe is me, there is a weakness that lies within me, I must be undesirable, I must be broken, I, I must not be any value to anyone. And here is this woman coming in the middle of the day because not only did the women of that society ostracize her, but so did those men. And now here's Jesus. What Jesus is saying is, I'm not like anyone you've ever met before. Now, Jesus didn't verbalize this, but I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking as the fingers of God are knitting together this woman in her mother's womb, even before she's born, he sees from eternity past every day of her life and every moment of agonizing hurt and pain. And as she is born into this world, she's born under the watchful care of the eyes of God. In fact, 
It is my understanding that she is most likely, perhaps even a a similar age or a little bit older than the age of Jesus Christ himself. And now there they are as the father observes the the maturing physically of of his son, Jesus Christ. And this woman, as she's going through all of these trials, rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection, till now she's at a point where there is no hope. And the father looks down to the son and says, it's time. It's time to make your way over there to Sychar because there's a woman who's so broken and she needs your help. And Jesus tells his disciples, we must needs go through Samaria. And they begin to make the journey. And no doubt the disciples following in the far distance wondering why on earth we've got to go to Samaria. And as Jesus then waits for her at the well as she arrives. He knows the work that he's about to do in her heart. And I can imagine with love and compassion and tenderness, he speaks to her as he weaves his words into the faith of her heart as she now confesses that he is that prophet that comes of God. And it was when she looked unto the Lord that all of that was resolved. It was when she looked to the Lord that she was finally accepted in the beloved. It was when she looked to the Lord that all of her weakness, all of her indiscretion, all of her rejection was washed away by the blood of the Lamb and she was placed into a family that would never divorce her, that would never push her out, that would never reject her, but she was secure in the hand of the Father. Oh, and if you're here this morning and you feel so hurt and so rejected and so weak and so broken, look unto the Lord. And Micah says, therefore, after I've looked to man, after I've looked within myself, Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Look to the Lord when weakness lies within. And lastly, look to the Lord when hope is lost. It is so easy to become a hopeless person. made a trip to the emergency room last night to make a visit and there was a dear lady that was sitting in the waiting room. She was a bit older. She was in a wheelchair. Pray for her. Her name's Billy. Her husband, Thomas, has been in and out of the hospital. Cancer has ravaged his body. She showed me a picture of her, of her husband when they were in their youth, a strong, tall man full of life and vitality. And now he has dwindled down to skin and bones and there's not much time left. She saw me pray with others and asked, she said, are you a minister? I said, yes, ma'am. And I, I knelt down to speak with her and She began to describe how angry she was at God. How she lost all hope in Him. For why would He allow her husband to go through this? It's in those moments where I wish more than ever that I actually had the answer, but I don't. 
But what I do know is that when we lose hope in everything else, we can place all of our hope in Him. I want you to notice very carefully the words that the Holy Spirit chooses in verse number 7. He says, therefore, I will look unto the Lord. It's a, a declaration of, of volition, of will, of, of discipline that, that I'm not going to get dragged down into the despair. But I am, in the same way that the psalmist said, going to lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. And he says, I will do this. I will look unto the Lord. But then he says this. With the same force, I will wait for the God of my salvation. You see, when we look to the Lord, we can lose heart and lose hope so quickly when we don't get the immediate answers we're wanting. And the prophet says, I'm not doing that since my confidence is in Him, in His ability, in His love, in His concern for me, then my confidence is also going to be in His time frame. And if God knows tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, and if God knows me and if God loves me, which the Bible says that He does, then I am not just going to trust His ability, but I'm going to trust His time frame. And the, the prophet says, I will wait for the Lord, for the God of my salvation. Notice there's one more I will statement in verse number seven. He says, I will look I will wait. And then he says, God will hear. God will hear. The first two wills, if you would, forgive me, I think I said three I wills. There's three wills. The first two wills belong to the will of the prophet. And this is our discipline. This is our responsibility before the Lord. You can quit. You absolutely can. You can walk away. It's within your right to do so. But the prophet makes this statement. I will. I will look and I will wait. I will look and I will wait. And as he is looking and as he is waiting, he is doing so with this knowledge that my God will hear. My God will hear my prayer my God will hear my cry. My God will not forget me. My God will not fail me. Notice what the very next verse says. He says, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. In other words, he is confident that the Lord will hear and God will intervene. He says, rejoice not against me, mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring forth the light and I shall behold his righteousness. And as we are gathered in this sanctuary today, I pray that we can look unto the Lord. That we would not get so distracted by everything else. That we would not lose hope when hope is lost. That we would not be broken when weakness lies with him. That we would 
not be discouraged when man offers no hope because our hope is not within ourselves. Our hope is not within some man, but we are here to look unto the Lord, to pray in Him, to put our confidence in Him, to be comforted by Him, and to wait upon Him.